welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Hey, you guys. Welcome to this special edition of the Karen Kenny Show. So if you tuned into episode 29, then you're already familiar with my friend and my guest, Bill Barron. So Bill is a wicked successful serial entrepreneur and a super smarty pants business coach. He is a man of many hats. And this episode is a part of what I call like the BB and KK collaboration series where two friends sit down and talk about what's going on in the greater universal world and also what's coming up perhaps in our own personal experiences. So we'll chat, we'll share our thoughts, ideas, and feelings about whatever's going on. And I kind of like to think of it like storytelling and spiritual ping pong, where we talk, listen, and reflect back and forth about things that feel important or are sometimes just fun. So we have a blast connecting and having these conversations, and we hope that you'll also find something valuable or helpful or meaningful or at the very least entertaining. (laughs) So thank you so much for tuning in. We appreciate you. Much love. Hey there, Bill Barron here, and I'm with... Karen Kenny. We're wicked excited to be here with you guys. It's always a pleasure to talk with my friend and my former coach and mentor. I mean, he's still kind of like my mentor and stuff like that. But Bill Barron, Karen Kenny, hanging out, really just having uh, some chats and conversations about what's been on our mind, what's been coming up, and what we're curious, curious enough to have a conversation about. You know, we, we, before we started recording, we were talking about veganism. And, uh, and I just realized that, you know, together, you and I are BK, and those are the initials of Burger King. So, I, I don't know. Well, but Burger King just started introducing the Impossible Whopper, which is doing extremely well, oh. which, is, which is a vegan burger. Come on, Karen. I'm just saying, man. Uh, the, that is like one of the least healthiest things ever. No, yes, but I'm saying just as an alternative to, to beef and what's interesting too, I'll never forget since, as, since you wait, brought up. Wait, wait, wait. As an alter- wait, if you want to be unhealthy, but you want to be an unhealthy vegan, eat the Impossible Burger. Well, I will say this. Yeah. That, that burger was actually not marketed necessarily for vegans. It's an alternative for getting meat eaters to try something new. Yes, yes. And, um, and what's funny is, since you brought it all up, I'll never forget, before I was vegan, but um, I remember seeing somebody somewhere. I lived in California, and I saw somebody with um, a T-shirt on. This was like 20 six, seven years ago, and they had a t-shirt on and it looked like a burger bun. And it said, um, Murder King. 
instead of BK. And I thought, oh, and it was like probably my first sighting of like a true hardcore vegan, like way back in the day. And I, I've never forgot, obviously I've never forgotten that t-shirt. <laughs> uh, I was going to say like, as you, you said 26 years ago, and I said, well, whatever the image on that t-shirt <laughs> had to be memorable enough. <laughs> I don't think I, I remember any t-shirts. I don't even remember any t-shirt sightings from yesterday. Oh my God. No, certain, but I think the mind does like, they, there are just certain things yeah. that imprint on us. And I have one of those minds and maybe it's as um, a storyteller or as somebody who grew up in an environment where I was hypervigilant, I had to be hypervigilant, that there's just certain things that land in there and they stay with me. And I think it's been one of the things that's been very helpful for me in building relationships over the years is that I'll meet somebody like back, like I'll see somebody maybe from college or whatever and I'll go, so how was your Uncle Ray doing? And they're like, how do you remember that? And I'm like, well, some, something about the way you told that story, like stayed with me, you know, so. Well, as a storyteller that you are, like the, 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 the good stories stick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So today we were talking about, um, before we started recording, you know, one of the things that's, you know, on my mind, and we'll see, um, I remember I saw your post, you did a post about it online too, is the recent um, the recent death of Kobe Bryant and um, his daughter and the families and the pilot and stuff like that and that's just kind of how the impact has been. I mean, you're out in California, so you guys you might be having a more kind of immediate or um, different experience than me. Um, so I wanted to just kind of talk about that and and what your thoughts are and just kind of what it's been like maybe in California. And I know that you are a basketball fan and me too, I have my own thing. And so we'll just kind of go back and forth, but do you want to kick us off and tell me what you've been thinking about? Yeah, I, I've been thinking about why certain things and certain uh, circumstances or certain events, deaths have just profound effect and some don't hit people, right? And so for me, if you would have asked me two weeks ago what my prediction would have been of Kobe's Bryant passing yes. on me, I would not have predicted that, that I would be mourning, that I would be experiencing grief. And and then it, it, it had me thinking, okay, like what have been those deaths that have actually impacted me? And I'm like, yes. wow, there have, I mean, I'm not talking about people that I know. Yes. I'm just talking about people in the media, people that I do not have a relationship with, but yet somehow their passing is like, it's affecting you. Yeah, it's affecting me. And I realized that um, there haven't been, too many. And I thought, wow. So there was a, in the, when I first got to the United States, I became a hardcore Yankee fan. Mm -hmm. I know being from New England, uh, you love to hear that. No, I actually, you know, I, I did a post too on the Kobe, on Kobe, and I talk about this exact thing. And so I'm happy you're bringing it up, but go ahead. Yes. Yeah. And so there was, uh, there was, uh, uh, the Yankees had uh, a first baseman called Thurman Munson. Oh, yeah, I know exactly who he is. And when he died, I think it was also a small plane crash. That was devastating for me. 
Mm -hmm. and, uh, and then the, the passing of Prince, that was really oh. for me. I was in a Hannaford parking lot when I got the news, which is a grocery store. Yeah. When I got the news that Prince died and I was just sobbing. Mm -hmm. I couldn't even drive my car for like 20 minutes. I just sat there and he was the soundtrack. Like I had a picture. Not only did I have a poster of, um, of him in my bedroom when I was in high school, I had like one of those black velvet paintings of him because I thought he was so cool. And that movie Purple Rain had so many elements to it that spoke to me. And I just loved, one of the things, and I all, I've always said this, one of the things that Prince taught me was the power of being yourself. Mm. And how he never, if Prince was changing, it's because Prince wanted to change. It's not because, and, and like, you know, what a rebel he was when he just became a symbol. He didn't even have a name anymore. He just became a symbol. And he was so talented and he played all these instruments. And he, to me, was just like, otherworldly and I was deeply I, same thing I loved I saw him in concert um, I, I mean I felt like I knew him and I think that's part of the heartbeat of what we're talking about is we don't have quote-unquote personal relationships with them but because they're larger than life and in the media in front of we feel like we know them like we lost one of our own in some way yeah yeah, it's definitely true. But then I think about it, um, Michael Jackson. Wait, wait, wait. We had an opposite reaction. I, it didn't have any effect on me. And I loved his music. Uh, and yet somehow I was immune to the grief of his passing, right? And then there's Kobe Bryant. I'm not a fan. Yeah. In fact, I, I, like, there, there were parts of how he showed up that I actually didn't like. Sure. And yet, like, something around this, this, this it, was, it was devastating. Yeah. Yeah. So Michael Jackson, was, you also had a pretty big... No, I mean, for Michael Jackson, my tears were more for... So, like, the past two years... Oh, because first of all, I'm married to a professional musician, my sweetie. And so uh, music has always been a, a big, and obviously your life too, right? You know, maybe some people don't know about your history of music. You can maybe talk about that a little bit. But, um, you know, Michael Jackson, like when he first transitioned out of the Jackson 5 and he started to do his own thing with Quincy Jones and like my mother, like we grew up with the Jackson 5 and we always had been kind of following Michael's career and Off the Wall came out. And I remember my mother loved that. So, so often I think these larger than life people, it's not just about them. It's about what they symbolize and it's about what we've attached meaning to, to their music. And because there's a lot of controversy in some of these people, right? Like when Kobe, when Michael passed, it was like, there were the people who were like the huge fans who were just like devastated. I was upset more for like, oh my God, the world has lost another incredible artist. Um, it was a, an homage and a sadness for, um, oh, my mom would be so bummed right now. Like that, like this is a, this is a big thing. He's the king of pop. Like I was like, this is a big shift. And then there's all this unknown stuff around, was he a pedophile? Did he do these awful things? And, 
And I wept for his lack of childhood. And I, I wept for his, the sadness of what he went through as a little kid and the way he transformed himself and how much suffering he must have had internally. So I'm not always like crying because of my own personal loss. I'm, I'm crying because there's so many layers to it all and the complexity of our humanness and, and how, you know, and even like the people who were, who were so fast to be like, I can't believe people are sad about Kobe. Let's not forget about the sexual assault. And I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Can we just take a beat here for a minute, right? So it's, there's just, it's so multi-layered. And I think the final thought I'll think, say about it all, I always believe that fresh grief especially as somebody who works with people who have a lot of grief. I just know from personal experience and from working with my clients that fresh grief stirs up old grief. So it's not just the person who's died that we're mourning. It's th there's sediment that gets stirred up, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and all of it is an opportunity for continuous, continuous personal healing as well. And, you know, one of the things that you'll know this, like, uh, be careful of false idols. Right? Yes, yes. And, you know, whenever we think of, like, these larger-than-life humans, um, they are not, like, we don't see them as human. We see them as some uh, idolized version of their accomplishments yes. and our perception of the kind of person they would need to be in order to accomplish those things, mm -hmm. you know, but the reality, like when somebody says he was a great man and I'm like, I don't know if he was. That's right. I know that he was an incredible basketball player. I know that he was a good friend and a good mentor to a lot of the younger basketball players. Yes. I know that he had uh, incredible work ethic. Yes. And, uh, and just hyper-focus and determination to be the best. And, but I don't know anything else. Right? And so what am I really mourning? Well, so, yeah, amazing question. And before I run off with my big mouth, I have a lot of thoughts about what you said. Do you, have you come to, have you landed on, per, like for you, what are you really mourning? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I, I think some of these things sort of connect to our own experience in a very, very unconscious way. And so it's been like, all right, you know, part of being into deep personal growth is being able to excavate those things that are buried deep in the unconscious process and try to bring them out into the surface, into the light, so they can be transformed into something beautiful, right? And so, you know, for me, what I've come to, and again, it's just the theory, um, that two years ago, I think it was two years ago, Kobe, maybe it was three, Kobe Bryant stopped being a professional basketball player. Yeah, he retired, right. He retired, right. And he, he, there, he entered a new phase of his life. Mm -hmm. and, and it seemed like 
not like most other athletes that I've witnessed, mm -hmm. their life really falls apart when they enter a new phase. Right. And Kobe Bryant was somebody that it, it didn't happen to. Like I felt like his reinvention yeah. might not have been complete, but it felt successful. It felt like, God, he's like in a, a new groove, but yes. in a groove nonetheless. Yes. And it felt really sad that in the middle of this, what seemed to be a positive reinvention, where he can make sort of like the next level of contribution with his life. Yes. His life was cut short. Um, and so that, that was one of the, one of the theories, because I feel like I'm in a reinvention phase of my own life. So, right. So that was the connection. Yes. And then the, the second piece of it was, I, I just think that the finality and the surprise element and the shock aspect of it all, that was the other piece. And it just got me to thinking how often we, we dim our light and dim our possibilities as humans to prepare ourselves for the shock of the negative things that may come in our life, right? It's like, we're almost like, as a way to prepare ourselves for something bad happening, we're actually living as if something bad is already happening, but like in smaller degrees. Like all of those things were, you know, the things that I've been journaling about around uh, Kobe's death. Yeah, I, I think it's so interesting. So I'm gonna show you a picture. So you may or may not have seen this. Yeah, so that's me in my lake is gear. Yeah, I saw that. At Boston University when I was uh, like um, 17, 18 years old there. And with a, with a roommate? My roommate, Ruth, as I called her. And- um, You seemed pretty ruthless with that pose. Yeah, yeah, we were being hardcore. That was our like, don't, don't fuck with us look, right? So, but, so I'm, I'm a Boston kid at Boston University in the heart of the city wearing all Lakers gear. So one of the things it's like, so I was a huge um, Oakland Raiders, as a little kid, Pittsburgh Steelers fan, then an Oakland Raiders fan, then an LA Raiders fan. So my bedroom was, it was like Prince, Al Davis, who owned the team. Oh yeah. Marcus, Marcus Allen, like, you know, magic. So all of my, they were all athletes and they were, and Ricky Henderson, Ricky Henderson, who played for the Oakland A's and then went to the New York Yankees. So I was a Boston kid who was attached to these larger, what appeared to me to be these larger than life athletes. And it's what they demonstrated to me as a kid who was going through um, a, a shocking trauma, a shocking loss of my own. What they showed me was possible in the human, right? So at that age, I was probably building false gods, right? I was building false idols. So it wasn't until much later as a Course in Miracles student, I'll never forget that, you know, in A Course in Miracles, the line that basically says, reserve your offer, God. And I, I've never forgotten that. And so that's why it's like, now I can meet people like Oprah or somebody amazing. And I don't like lose my shit because I'm like, oh, they're just me amplified, <laughs> right? There's some version of me. So what I was taking away from Kobe's loss, because um, 
I was a Lakers fan, like back in like 88, 89, 90, those years. And he didn't even come onto the team until like 96. So it wasn't like I was even a Kobe fan. I was just aware of Kobe and watching him. But what these athletes always represented to me, the superhuman quality we're talking about. And I talked about it. It's like, it's knowing the kind of determination and discipline and devotion and dedication and the way that they could move their body where it was so graceful. And Ricky Henderson stole like an obscene, like 140, whatever basis in his career. Like it was just like crazy watching them. And I'm like, there's a fearlessness here and they have something. And even though my body can't do those things, it, it makes me feel something when I watch it. And what I mm. came to understand later was just what I, what I say about, um, and whether you believe in Jesus as a religious figure or to me as like a mythological figure, is that the enlightened Buddha, Jesus, Martin Luther King Jr., Gandhi, all these larger than life, as we call them, personalities and stuff, they're simply reflecting back something that already exists within us. And so it's also a deeply subconscious recognition. And I think some part of us just feels like, whoa, like, it, I think it's real. we feel like a candle on some way has been blown out somewhere, like some small, some star went out or some light went out. So I've just been kind of thinking about all of this. And I think so much of what, so I was in a hotel at the airport getting ready to um, come home from Florida back to cold ass New Hampshire. And when I got the news, I was by myself and I opened it up and I just kept going, no, like, no, like, oh, and, and I was just sobbing. And, and then I heard the misreporting of like all four kids were like, and I was like, no, like I was just losing it. Oh, why is it doing that? Sorry. Um, and I just remember feeling because and it wasn't for me, I was crying for his wife and I was crying for the families. And, and I just thought, and I have one final point to make. And I just thought like, I know, I don't know that exact obviously thing, but I know the shock and the shock wave of violent, like unexpected tragic loss. I know how it felt and I was just crying, like I'm getting emotional even now, just letting myself feel it, crying for that. And then the other thing that I noticed right away, and you touched on this, I'm all, I was kind of, I mean, I'm not judging my brothers and sisters, but I'm always a little taken aback where all anybody was posting, even though we knew the numbers changed, it kept changing. It was five people, seven people, nine people. But at the very beginning, we knew it was at least five. And all anybody was writing is, oh my God, no, Kobe, Kobe's gone, Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. And I kept going, what about the, like, what about the other four people? Oh, we don't give a shit about them because they weren't famous or they weren't special. And it's that whole specialness component. And I kept just thinking, those four are the people were famous to the people in their life and they're gone now too. So I just thought about this obsession with famous people and how we do this importance thing. Um, so that, yeah, I'm going to stop there. <laughs> yeah, there's a, uh... There's so much here of like, we, we are like, I'm thinking like, what's the subject of this conversation, right? Like, 
And to me, the subject of this conversation is the silliness of how we interact with life. Right? There's all of these, like none of it makes any sense. Like, whatever, whatever played a part in the design of how we think and how we feel, Yes. one big cosmic joke. It is. This is not like if this would not be how I'd be, de I'd be designing humans. Right. <laughs> right. But, but here we are. Right. Here we are. And now, now that we're here, what are we going to do about it? Right. What are we going to yeah. do with it? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, so for me, like the thing that I'm taking away around Kobe's death is. And, and not, it's kind of easy. It, it's interesting to, to hear everybody saying, well, you know, just cherish the people in your life, right? Don't forget to tell them that you love them, you know, because this might be um, the last time you see them. Yes. And, I, and I, I love hearing that. And... I was waiting for the and. That's where it gets interesting. Yeah, yeah. and. Yeah, the thing to me was... The helicopter is on fire and it's coming down. I'm with my daughter. Yeah. And I know that we're gonna die. How am I gonna show up? All right, so what do, I, what do I need to do and how do I need to live every day so that when I'm in that place, mm -hmm. And I don't have a daughter, but when I'm in that place, I can be loving, kind, courageous to the people around me, right? So that's, that's what I'm leaving this conversation with for myself, because we don't know what went on. But I, I hope that he was that graceful, and courageous and kind and loving to his daughter and the other, you know, seven people that were on the helicopter. I think that one of the things that, um, for lack of a better word, I'll just say haunts me when those kinds of things happen. Um, Cause we know there's a point when things go wrong. Cause my sweetie was, he brought up Stevie Ray Vaughan and how he also died in a helicopter crash and how there was zero visibility. So they like Stevie Ray Vaughan's helicopter just smashed into the side of a mountain. And so there was probably no warning. So what the Kobe Bryant situation immediately brought back to my mind was those recordings of the people on the, on the nine 11 flights calling their loved ones mm. saying, it doesn't look good. I like, I'm getting emotional again, talking about it, but the thing that kept playing over in my mind when I was getting the news about Kobe is the guy was asking for clearance. There, there was a, there was, whether it was 30 seconds, three minutes, whatever it was, there was a period of consciousness that they knew this is probably not going to end well. And the thing that I often do, because I think what, what I've always tried to do, um, I mean, maybe not necessarily in my younger years when I was very, you know, self-centered and trying to just, you know, figure out myself. But as I got older, I always try to put myself in other people's position and other people's shoes to try and understand their point of view or their story or 
you know, why does man do what he does? And I try to say, well, if I grew up that way, if I was black or if I was gay or if I was somebody who had been beaten, like I'm always trying to like be like, well, what would that be like? So when I was trying to think about that, that's the thing that kept playing in my mind when I was crying in the hotel. Like, what were those last moments like? And I think as somebody who, you know, had, had a, um, a, a violent, my mother at the end, the one thing I just wanted to know was, did she suffer? Did she suffer? Did she suffer? Because I think for the people that are left behind, that's what haunts us. Um, on the impact was immediate, right? Like they're, unfortunately, as awful and graphic and violent as that is. But I like to think, like you said, I like to hold an image of my mind that that strength, that strength that he exhibited, um, because I didn't know him in his personal life, but the strength that he exhibited on the court, I'm hoping that, you know, um, I would say his better angels, you know, that part of him was the part that showed up and comforted his daughter and in whatever that looks like. And so very similar to what you're saying, I feel that too. Um, and I hope the same thing, like I asked myself that question, like, well, if it had been me, because that's where your faith comes in, right? All this, all this stuff that you talk a good talk about, like, oh, I believe in God, or I believe this, or I'm this, or I, whatever we believe, when, when, when the rubber meets the road, are we going to be able to be the living example, the embodied example of what we say? And so um, I'm carrying that forward too. I've always found it so interesting because even like whenever there's a tragedy, whether it's Sandy Hook or the shootings in Vegas or this and this and this and this, even 9-11, there's a very brief window of time where everybody comes together and it's all kindness, compassion, be kind. And then I'm like, and then people just go back to business. Like we forget that we never know when the last exhale is coming. So I always take them as like little wake up calls and little reminders. And what I'm hoping for myself, what I'm gonna take away from this is that, um, that I stay in a constant state of awareness, <laughs> that I don't need the reminders, that I just stay in that place of courage and love and compassion and, and gratitude. And, and that we can embody the, the, you know, you are the light of the world. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm going to be honest. I, I have no idea how I'd be reacting in that moment. I know. And, uh, yeah. You know, I'd like to think that I would be in, in an elevated state and I'd be able to uh, face what's coming without resistance, right? Because resistance is the suffering. Um, yeah, but I don't know. I know there's a, there's a song by this, um, they're just like a duo and they're brothers and they kind of sing like, it's kind of like rap, but not really rap. They're a really interesting um, band. I wish I could remember. I want to say it's 32 something, but they remind me, there's a, they have this great song. And he says, um, and he's kind of like rapping it, but he basically says, you know, um, you know, I would, I would, I would die for you. I would take a bullet for you. And he's like, easy to say, but I don't know if I would really act that way. Mm. And that's always kind of stayed with me. Like I think to myself, like people are like, I, I take a bullet for you. I die for you. Right. And I'm like, well, when the gun comes out, 
And I think about this woman, I don't know if you ever saw this story and maybe we can wrap it up with this, but the story of, um, there was a gunman that came into the school and I think she was like the school secretary, um, an older African-American woman, white shooter. And he comes into the school and she comes out of the office and she sees him. And there's like camera footage of her just standing there in the hallway face to face with him. And she just kept saying like, baby, you don't have to do this. Baby, like I see you, I love you. You don't have to do this. And she just kept walking towards him. You don't have to do, like I'm getting like full body chills just right now remembering the scene. And she kept getting closer and closer to him. And she finally, she took the gun from him and she just hugged him and she held them in the hallway. And I just think like, man, who would I be in that? Like, could I have done that in that moment? But this is what I do know. I don't know if I would, but I know that I could because somebody went first and showed me what's possible. Yeah, beautiful. By the way, is it 30 seconds to Mars? No, I... I know Jared and I've seen 30 seconds to pause. No, I, and I don't want to look it up on my phone right now, but I'll, I'll, um, I'll circle back if I could remember it and, and tell you, but it's a, it's a great, it's a great song. Yeah. Well, I think, uh, I think this is a perfect place for us to end. Uh, I do too. I love you. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Hey, you guys, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. <laughs> I super duper appreciate your time, friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days. And let me know what your favorite pot was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review. Because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.